You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 277th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 903rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of January 12th, 2023. I'm your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred... I honestly have no idea when the banner moment occurred this week. Um, the, I, I think there's three parts. Number one, the continued support uh, of our fan community and the Indiana fans uh, for the Indiana basketball program through tough times. We're going to need it on Saturday if you're going to be at Assembly Hall. Show up and support the program. The program will be here. It might be in disarray right now, and we'll find out all of the solutions here in the next 45 minutes to an hour. But keep supporting Indiana basketball. That is very important. The second potential banner moment is what you just watched with the women. They are just playing outstanding basketball. They had some adversity. The game was tied at 50-50. They found a way to get the job done and win. And congratulations to the women's program, number six, uh, beating number nine, Maryland, tonight. That has to be a banner moment. And we hope that they can have some Big Ten banners and make a run for that NCAA banner themselves. And the third thing is, uh, well, we're back on the show today. So we get to hear Ryan and we get to hear Andy talk about Indiana basketball. It's always a good to be uh, with your buddies uh, when things are going well. And it's even better uh, probably uh, when things are not going well. So let me uh, introduce to you now my co-host. He's the Micah Shrewsbury of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in the Cincinnati area, the president emeritus of the Robin Robert Johnson Fan Club and one of the world's most respected bracketologist. He is Andy Bottoms. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first class bracketology, if you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. Andy, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. What are your thoughts uh, uh, on this current uh, tough stretch of Indiana basketball? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the I'll start with the women's team. Uh, I was really hoping Kathy and Amanda would just ask for additional time, which we would have gladly <laughs> gladly given to talk about the team. Um, but it's funny, we were, you know, we were texting about this a little bit, and uh, you know, this team in a lot of ways is is everything that fans want the men's team to be uh in terms of how connected they seem level of confidence they play with just the toughness and uh like you said it gets to be 50 to 50 everything kind of going against you referees are doing i'm not exactly sure what and 
and then they just rip off nine straight points like it's nothing. And then you got quotes like these in the postgame, Mackenzie Holmes. I think this is just a team that doesn't have any quit in us. And my favorite from the Sydney from Sydney Parish, I just hate losing. I need more of that attitude. I need more of that at the press conference. Uh, I need that to be a little bit more apparent about the men's team. I, as far as they go, uh, banner moment for me was your performance on the on the show last night. I felt like it was, I felt like it was kind of like you're on a roller coaster and it's like ticking up to the top. And when you got to the point when you started hitting the dork defense and the superintendent's kid, that's when it really took off going downhill. And then honestly, we, we ran back up to some swearing later. And uh, I mean, it was uh, it was it was good. You really salvaged something good out of a out of a terrible situation. So kudos to you for that. I I was at uh, my daughter's practice for most of the time. I got home in time to see the end of the game, and I watched. I went back and watched. I think about to the midway point of the second half, which really felt unnecessary uh, at various points while doing it. But I thought if I was going to talk about it on here, I at least needed to watch part of it, even though you guys told me just. Use your imagination. Everything that you'd think a loss like that would be is exactly what happened. And, and that was pretty true. I, I just think you've got a team that is uh, – I just feel like we could call back to so many of these shows recently where we talk about the team. Just the minute that a couple things go wrong, everything just snowballs. And, and really, even if you look at the defense, you know, you're midway through the first half. You've given up 13 points. I think with under 10 minutes left, they've given up 13 points. And you end up giving up 80 plus. So you're giving up 70-ish points, 70 plus points in the in the last 30 minutes of the game. Uh, really just snowballed. I know we got a bunch of questions about some of the you know game plan and uh, and things like that defensively, but just a really disappointing response to the things that they'd gone through in the in the days leading up to that. And uh, it's just a team that is teetering right now. If it's not on the way down, it's uh, it, it's you know, it's, it's just teetering on the brink of the season coming unraveled that had so much promise at the beginning. And uh, we, we can lament the losses of Xavier Johnson and Ray Thompson. I looked at some stats today and uh, things correspond uh, really to go off the rails a little bit when X is, is not out there outside of the Arizona game, but man, that just can't be an excuse for playing the way that they've played. And it's, it's, it sounds dumb to say, cliche to say, it's not the fact that they're losing, it's how they're losing that is so, so frustrating to the fan base. And I'm, you know, I'm sure to the players and, and things like that as well. But uh, yeah, just a, a really tough stretch. And uh, of course, uh, Wisconsin comes calling in a game that IU really needs to win. So I guess if you're going to get back on track, you might as well do it against a team that's just owned you in recent years. So maybe that's the, uh, maybe that's the play. Also, well, thank you for your kind words. Uh, I, I, I don't know where I ended up last night. I just uh, <laughs> said what I said. Had an uh, out of body experience and just kind of blacked out. And things happened. I, yeah. I got a lot. Thank We've you all been for there everyone. Before, Coach. Thanks for the kind words. I got a lot of text today, direct messages, a lot of compliments. I had to play it back for Mrs. Tonsoni, and she just shook her head. But um, also joining us, he's the son of a world famous chef and a senior writer for the Big Lead. It's Ryan. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. The dude just interrupted his own jingle. All right, Ryan. Let First us have all, it. First of all, your banner moment is the Diane Phillips shout out. Uh, in in my intro, appreciate that, guys. Go go check her out on Amazon. Um, honestly, 
I mean, what do you say after that performance against Penn State and and the performances recently? Um, what I what I'll try and go with here is Indiana's falling apart. And it's evident on the court that's happening. The defense is an absolute dumpster fire. But if you look at the bench, players are yelling at coaches. Coaches are yelling at players. Coaches are yelling at each other. Nobody has any answers. And it becomes quite obvious if you look at it through this lens. Indiana has no leadership at any level whatsoever. No one's held accountable. Um, No one is leading this team. They're just kind of out there playing. And to me, that's an indictment of the coaching staff. And if you watch this team play, it has the same problems it's had all year with no improvement and few adjustments, very few adjustments. When things go bad, instead of changing what they're doing, they stick to it. There's a bullheadedness to this that is maddening to watch. Um, The only way Penn State beats you is if they destroy you from three-point range. Now, they could probably have an insane game on the inside, but it's extremely rare. This is a shooting team. That is what they do. So Indiana's game plan going into Penn State, you would think, would be to overplay the three-point line, not help off of shooters, and funnel everything into the paint where you've got Trace Jackson Davis to at least affect shots. That's not what they did. They ran the same defense that hasn't been working for a month and a half, two months. Uh, And Penn State just punished them from the three-point line. There have been no adjustments and no changes. The offense doesn't move. It's the same thing we saw last year. They'll run some action, and you'll be like, hey, that was nice, and then just stop running it. Um, Miller Cop got a pin-down run for him, and you guys talked about this last night. He got a pin-down run for him, got a wide-open jumper, and just absolutely smoothly knocked it down. They never ran it again. They did not run it again. And they don't run things to get shooters open. This is an NBA offense. And that's what our the people who were concerned about this hire were concerned about this exact thing. NBA guys have a tough time translating to college. And the reason why is in the NBA, you don't really have to police your players that much. They motivate themselves. They're all professionals. This is what they do for a living. They don't have tests and other things on their mind. They don't have the things that normal 20-year-olds go through on their mind. This is what they do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is basketball. The other thing is, a lot of NBA offenses are simply based on you being more talented than the guy in front of you and going and getting a bucket. Especially for about eight, for four-fifths of a game, it's a lot of one-on-one pickup, spread the floor kind of stuff. That doesn't work in college because the only there are only on a good roster, you maybe have three guys who can go make their own shot, you know, because guys just I mean, you look at the percentage of guys who make it to the NBA from college. It's a different level. And so you actually have to run offense instead of just ISOing everyone or just dumping it in the post or helping your point guard makes a play or driving kick or whatever. You need to actually run stuff. And Indiana doesn't. It's a lot of go make a play. It's a lot of go create your own shot. And I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter how talented you are in college compared to other teams. That's not possible all the time. And it's, you hear from Mike Woodson and coach, you brought this up. The players have to be better. The players have to do this. Players have to, Mike, turn the mirror on yourself, buddy. You need to design something to get guys those shots. That's what college basketball is. And I just think we're at a point with this coaching staff where you see the flaws and you see the problems. And the question is, can Mike Woodson adjust? And one of the main criticisms in the NBA was that he didn't adjust when his roster didn't fit his system. And so it's really, really disheartening to see this happening because the hope was he would come down, change what come down to college, change what he was doing, do whatever it took. 
And it seems like it's just, I know better. I'm going to run the stuff I run. And we're either, the players are either going to do it or not. And that's where we are right now. And that's why things are falling apart because the system doesn't work. And the system doesn't work on either end. The reason why it doesn't work on defense is in the NBA, running that system, you have a bunch of 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, guys who can switch one through five and are long enough to cover the three-point line and defend to help and whatever. You don't have that. You can't run the same thing if you don't have the players. So that's where I'm at. I'm just frustrated, but it's it's not unexpected. This is kind of like Indiana has the most pure talent. Indiana has the most talents had in 20 years, and they can't win against lower-tier Big Ten teams. That's a problem of ill usage, and it's a problem at the top. Well said. We'll, we'll get back to that here in just a second because I, I want to comment on on some things that I totally agree with and and, and get your guys' thoughts on. But we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about the frustrations of, of what's going on with the with the program after last night's loss to Penn State. And then we're just going to go straight into your questions. I think I counted 20-plus some questions. We're going to go for an hour, uh, and, and then we're going to let everyone go uh get refreshed for the weekend uh so segment two and three are going to be your mailbag questions so all that's coming up uh, this week on assembly call radio but now it's time to talk about our presenting sponsor home field This edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, is presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and so many more. The bottom line is that Home Field has something for fans and grads of pretty much every school with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. And you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly School of Business. What could be better than that? And they're going to be sending out some new Indiana stuff. In fact, I think some of us were uh, fortunate enough to get a little sneak peek. I I can't show the logo until it comes out, uh, but uh, the sneak peek is is really nice. So uh, be on the lookout for some new Indiana apparel. Wear it proud no matter what, especially for the women's basketball program. But go to homefieldapparel.com. Use our promo code HOME for 15% off your entire first order. That's promo code HOME for 15% off. Once again, the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. All right, I want to go back real quick. Um, what it, It's really hard to pinpoint the, the exact problem, player, coach, but there is a disconnect, and the disconnect is in believing in what you're doing. And I happen to think, if I'm going to guess on this, I'm with Ryan, that right now the system hasn't worked and there hasn't been adjustments. You saw after the Arizona game, I think, or the Kansas game, where Trace Jackson Davis in the post game said, we got to, we're we not doing the right things with the ball screen coverage, or he'd like to see some changes in the ball screen coverage. Hasn't really happened. There's been a little bit of an adjustment from the drop to a flat hedge, but now what's coming out of player interviews is we there's a great game plan. We're just not following it. So if you put one and two together, they're, they're getting told that they're the ones who need to do better, not the game plan. It just maybe that's not correct, uh, and I'm just guessing. But what happens is there if there is not trust, if the players don't trust the coach and the coach shows that he doesn't trust the players, it's really hard to execute any game plan, whether yeah. it's solid or not. Uh, and I agree with your NBA take on that. But 
this team was connected and playing well at the beginning, had some joy. There needs to be some joy. Hard work, focus, concentration, but there needs to be some joy. That has that has left since uh, Las Vegas. Uh, and even before that, I mean, right after the Rutgers game. So, you know, thoughts on that, uh, the, the, the level of trust that has to happen in college basketball, going both ways uh, in order for – for a program to maximize its talent? Uh... Well, the first thing is that in college, it's more the players have to trust the coach because, you know, a lot of them are the best player on their high school team, almost certainly, and they are treated really well and everything. And you have to trust that your coach is going, you know, because you're the star, you're, you're treated very well. They have to trust that while it's going to be hard when you go to college, that it's also going to be an improvement and you're going to be getting better and, 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 and family, you have to build a trust with families or whatever the NBA level, you're forced to go to whatever team you go right out of college. You know, I mean, it's a draft you got. And so those relationships, you have to make that work in college. It's on the coach to foster that relationship. NBA players have no, no option until they're a free agent and they pick where they go. And if they pick the wrong place, that's on them. You know, I think that it's with a coach. These are young people you are getting to play for you. And and 18 to 22, you're still kids these days. You know, this isn't this isn't World War II where 16 year olds are going off to fight, you know, in a war. These are kids and they are still kids. And you have to get them to trust you and build that rapport and get it so they'll do what you want them to do. And so I lean on coaching. These are talented players who we've seen be talented and we've seen be good and they're getting worse. And at some point, whether that's on Woodson, whether that's on one of the assistants who's teaching a specific thing, I don't know because we're not there, but it's his program. And so the blame goes to him. Am I saying Woodson should be fired tomorrow? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he has to be better and th they have to be better than this. He has all the talent in the world. This is a roster that could win a Big Ten. There's no question about it. And they are losing to teams with massively inferior talent and looking bad doing it. And I don't care, even with X and race out, you should beat Penn State. You should beat Northwestern. Quite frankly, they should have beaten Iowa. Regardless, the way that game went, they still had plenty of opportunities to win that game without Ray Thompson. And so you lose to Kansas without X. Okay, that's fine. It was the way you played. You played with, it didn't look like these guys were playing with any heart or focus. And so when when you get people blaming the players, saying they don't pay attention, they it's all about NIL. Oh, it's TikTok. It's Instagram. Every team has that. And other teams play better. This is about how they are deployed on the court and getting them to believe in you. And that is part of your job as a coach is to get them to believe in you and run your stuff. I think yeah, I think it's it's interesting to listen to some of the player comments, which I think you can read as like, well, what the hell else are they going to say? Right. Uh, in, in some cases, yeah, they're going to bury their coach in, in a, post but, but at the same time, I guess the expectation from, from me would be accountability in the sense of if you come out and as a player sit there and tell me we didn't execute the game plan, then why are we continuing to play guys who can't execute the game plan? Thank you. Why, why are people not being taken out? It was, um, I think it was I I, I kind of caught part of this because I didn't have the audio all the way up on the on the women's game. I probably still had it turned down from listening to Bardo on the uh, replay of the IU game last night. Um, but but I think they chimed in with somebody. They were talking about how tough the women's team was defensively, and that Terry Morton had basically said, "You don't want to defend, you're not going to play." And it it 
boggles my mind that if in fact they are being honest when they say that that we're just not executing the game plan i don't see you don't see the game plan adjusting and you don't see anybody being punished is maybe too strong a word but you don't see any accountability for not executing the game plan so you're just kind of left to wonder where the truth lies in all of that or or the players are just covering for the coach at that point which could very well be the case but it just strikes me as really odd that we, we can watch a team play so poorly defensively for such a long period of time that they're either doing what you want them to do and it's just not working or they're not executing what you want to do. It's not working and you're not doing a damn thing about it. Like one of those two things has to be true. I, I sent you guys some stats earlier about, you know, the last five games I used played against good teams. So take out Elon, take out Kennesaw state. Um, the defensive numbers are abysmal. Um, and I actually thought when I started looking at it that it started with the Rutgers game, but it really didn't. The defense was not great in the Rutgers game, but against Rutgers both didn't Rutgers play very well and Nebraska, they allowed less than a point per possession, didn't get torched from three-point range. Um, but, man, you look at those other games, the last five games in that that stretch, they've given up eighty over 86 points per game. Um 1.2 points per possession over that time period. 44.5 opponent three-point per, per, three shooting to Arizona, Kansas, Iowa, Northwestern, Penn State. Even if you take the Penn State one out, it's still 39%. Like, you're consistently doing that. So, again, I go back to the game plan isn't right or needs to be adjusted or you have a great game plan that the players aren't capable of aren't, executing aren't capable of executing or aren't executing or whatever the reason like one of those things has to be true right I, I, that's just where i continue to come back to and it's like ever nobody wants to really say what's really going on and i certainly am not close enough to know but one of those statements is true Let, and nothing is happening either way so this is an nba system we all know it you look at it it looks like the NBA. And then we're not talking about modern NBA like the Warriors NBA. We're talking mid-2000s NBA, which is when Woodson was a head coach. It's kind of the system he's running. Uh, the defensive scheme kind of hasn't changed in the NBA. It's switch one through five for most of the game and then lock down late in the game. You know, try and stick with your guy late in the game. Um, how many guys on NBA, on Indiana's roster are going to play in the NBA? I could say maybe three. With, with TJD will probably get a shot. Uh, Jalen is definitely going to play in the NBA. And probably next year, uh, tomorrow, if all development goes well, could play in the NBA. And what maybe Malik Renew, if he develops an outside shot, like other than that, who's going to play in the NBA? And you're asking them to play a system that NBA players struggle to 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 play well in more than half the games. So that's my problem. Is that again, as we've said since last year? Last year the defense ran well, but it was also the first year this system was deployed against teams. They've had a year to look at it now, and they know where the weaknesses are. Is and it different, though? I, I think they've made some adjustments to it. I don't remember having little, this much overhelp and this much nail the coverage. Was, the, oh, the overhelp was there, Coach, but they closed out better last year, and I don't know why. Maybe it was they weren't overhelping as much, but they did close out better last year. This year, guys are ball watching, and their guys are wide open on the corner. You can just see it. I mean, they're, they're, people are people are posting you know images of it, and they're just they're ball watching. And I don't know if that's changed. The, the player, the starting players haven't really changed. Why is it different? I don't know, but there's something missing from this 
defense. And I don't know if it's aggressiveness. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, Race Thompson hasn't been as good this year when he was when he was healthy. Maybe that's affecting it. I don't know if X, you know, took some time to get into the defense last year. Or what now he's missing. I know he's a, your best on ball defender. That certainly is a problem. Um, but he hadn't looked good early either. Even against some of the bad teams, guys had Gave wide up 80, shots 80 to Xavier. Right. I mean, in, in that win. And so yeah. there's something different this year. You're right. But the the. The themes of the defense are the same, or exactly the same. It's a lot of switching on ball screens. It's a lot of going under screens and guys being open for a three. Uh, I think opposing teams have just figured it out and figured out how to run it. The ball screen coverage is terrible this year. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, but you're also the on ball. Guys, the on ball defense has been a struggle without Finnessy and without X. And yeah, so I think that's defense, yeah. there's that's some a, overcompensating. Yeah, I, I there's sure. some overcompensating for the inability to stop the drive. So that puts people in overhelp situations. And then they're not rotating appropriately yeah. on the backside. But you have to teach it exactly right. to where it becomes a habit. This yes. is your team. You can't change it. Make some adjustments. Uh, yeah. I don't like zone, but maybe play some zone or, or, or something. At this point, what can it hurt? Like, honestly, what can it hurt? Your defense is horrid. And, and, and you look at the Kempon numbers, you're like, well, they're still top. I think they're still top 100. It's like, yeah, that includes like some really bad games. Yeah. It also includes um, some preseason stuff is still yes. baked into there. If you That's look I mean. at Torvik, some really bad it, like the some, stuff that I sent you guys, if you look at Torvik since the included the day of the Arizona game, they're 245th in adjusted defensive efficiency on there. Horrible. And they are 358th out of 363 teams in three-point defense. 324th in defensive turnover. And that's more than the three 322nd in effective field goal defense. That's more than the three games that Coach Woodson said we have two players sitting out. Yeah. Like, you, it, you had Rails for a while. Early, you had on, X. early on, we were leaving guys on bad teams open from three, and they were yeah. missing. We were. This was a thing that was going on early, and we mentioned it. Leaving guys open for three, and they happen to be missing it. But the overhelp has started early this year. And, you, and here's the thing. If your system is so reliant on two players that it can't be run unless they are there, it's a problem with the system. You need That's to be a able great to point. replacing things a, to plug in. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a lot more related, and I don't think totally related. But I think to go back to your point, Coach, about the on-ball defense – you know, the numbers really went south. I, the Arizona game was part of it. X was healthy, played, you know, got in foul trouble, had some of those struggles. I think Arizona is just a really good defensive team or they offensive are. team for they one. Are. But everything else after that is really, you know, X gets hurt nine, 10 minutes into the Kansas game. And then everything else after that, they really, really have missed him. And, and even when he would have to sit out and get in foul trouble, Fennessey was capable of doing that. They don't have that guy who is consistently able to do that. Galloway has done it at times, but not consistently. Pichofino is just not there at this point. And what it feels like you see is guys anticipating, and rightfully so, that the, the dribbler is not going to be contained. And maybe that's why it looks more like they're overhelping or helping Probably. sooner or doing whatever, because they really cannot keep anybody in front of them with any consistency. There were a few defensive possessions last night that were, I mean, Geronimo had a couple where he really got into, into picket. But like those are the exception as opposed to the rule, and and I think far more so than than missing race and what he's able to clean up and his switchability and some of those things. I really think it's the stuff at the point of attack, and it wasn't necessarily because it caused turnovers because even last year the turnover rate wasn't very high. No, but you got somebody out of rhythm. You made somebody uncomfortable. They're not making anybody uncomfortable, and then they're just getting spaced out, and teams are figuring out there's enough liabilities from a a, a 
dribble, you know, uh, ability to stop dribble penetration, teams are scheming to get those guys in matchups and are just absolutely, you know, beating it into the ground. Now that's where, to your point, you've got to figure out some way to make adjustments. And the zone wasn't good against Northwestern. It was in that case caught off guard, but then work on that in practice and get better at it. You're not, you know, it looked like a team that was like, oh crap, let's go play zone. And the communication wasn't very good. And they gave up open shots. And you had guys like switching positions in the zone, which you really don't see um, too often. Uh, but, but you saw a little bit of it, but at least like, drill it and get better at it if that's what you have to do with this personnel to allow yourself to survive and not get torched from the outside then like yeah spend it your all time goes and back, resources getting better at that it all goes back to andy's comment about it's not losing necessarily it's how you're losing like we don't have two starters we're not as good as we were at the beginning that's that's but you don't want to make an excuse. You don't want to get beat by 20, and you don't want to get beat by a Penn State team that needs to shoot eight, make 18 threes to beat you, and you allow 18 threes. So, um, you know, it, it just goes back. You, great points. It's frustrating. Uh, we're going to go uh, answer some questions and, and, and then bounce out of here. But uh, yeah, what, so one, it's more, ma- one more quick thing yeah, go ahead. On, on that. So, you know, and a lot of, there's been a lot of talk. I think Jared linked to this in the, in the, the postgame email this morning about – you know, what, what three-point defense, how much is that a function of luck? How much is that a function of scheme? Where does that really fall in? I, I think while I buy some of the arguments that it's not all scheme-related, there is something to be said for you give a team multiple open looks and allow them to get confidence and get comfortable. Like, that stuff matters. You, you can argue that it's not all scheme but it also isn't all luck. And and the number of open shots, as many people have documented over the course of today that Penn State got early and often in the game, allowed them to get into a rhythm that IU was never able to get them out of. Um, so while it's probably un, unconceiv- inconceivable that teams are going to shoot close to 45% from three as they have over the last you know five, seven games, it's not going to come down that much. It's not going to regress that much based on – unless the scheme changes to really try to do something a bit more disruptive. All right. 30 minutes of ranting done. Now we answer your questions. So coming up on assembly call radio, it's mailbag time. Uh, And we got all the questions from the community. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll answer them. Stick around. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Deron Davis. And what's the only thing better than dominating a dude big man in the post? It's celebrated with friends afterwards. 
Join Gerard, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Hall call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. No in-between segment banners. We want to get to your question uh, and, and get moving on here. But welcome back. Uh, I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. Um, our main segment tonight is brought to you by our new sponsor, True Blood Real Estate. Jim True Blood is a longtime friend of Jared's and the founder and owner of True Blood Real Estate, where he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell property since 2006. And starting this season, True Blood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. If you're looking to buy or sell estate in Indiana, you need to experience the True Blood Advantage. Go to T-R-U-E-B-L-O-O-D-R-E.com to learn more. That's TrueBloodRE.com. And tell them Assembly Call sent you. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's answer some questions. I didn't put these necessarily in order, and we can go uh, as fast or as slow as you want, fellas. Uh, we'll start off with Matt Moore. Um Let's talk about that game plan. Uh, what did you guys make of Indiana's game plan going into the debacle at, at Penn State? Coach Woodson, of course, insists that, quote, we had a good game plan coming in. He essentially just blames the players for not executing the plan. I'm going to answer this real quick. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in you got to take care of your players. Um, there's a better way to say that. We thought we had the game plan to beat Penn State. Obviously, you know, we didn't execute the way we wanted to. But, may, you know, you got to you got to – be a wordsmith a little bit there. Um, obviously, the game plan was not very good uh, to give up that many threes. Andy, Ryan, your thoughts on the game plan being great and having hands up in shooters' faces, but them hitting shots uh, that was commented in the post game. If yeah, I, game, oh, go, I'm go sorry, ahead. Andy. I no, you go, Ryan. I was just going to say, if you have a game plan that your players are incapable of executing, as Andy pointed out then that's a bad game plan. Like, I, I'm sorry. If, you're, if you've are if you had the same kind of game plan for a couple of weeks and it's not working, you need to change what you're doing because they're not magically going to get it. You know, all of a sudden, oh, it's not like a guy's going to be like, oh, wait, I shouldn't be helping off tw- 10 feet off a knockdown shooter. Oh, guys, my bad. I've been handling that wrong. Like, that's not going to happen. They just, these guys are playing instinctively and their instincts are wrong. And I'm sorry, when you're leaving knockdown shooters on Penn State. I'm did two guys hit seven last night. Like, how are they open? Like, okay, if a guy hits one from seven feet beyond the three-point line, I'm fine with that. But these guys were getting wide open looks, and they're guys, like, rushing to close out, and it's still wide open. Like, if that's happening consistently, they're either not being taught properly or they're incapable of doing anything else. And like Andy said, change the people on the floor. And if that doesn't work, change your friggin' game plan because it's not working and it's not magically going to start working out of nowhere. Um, so that, that's my thing is it game plans only as good as the execution of that game plan. And it's clearly been poor for quite some time. I have, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> well, I, I, can, well, I just, for I the just, sake of, for the sake of time, we can move on to the next question. Yeah. Um, I don't think the game plan was very good. So, I don't see. Yeah, things. I mean, I, I mean, imagine the worst thing. I mean, based on what Penn State, how Penn State runs offense and what they want to do, what happened was almost the absolute worst case scenario of that, of basically letting them do what they do best and everything that they wanted to do. All right. 
Jeremy Johnson asks, sounds like a lot of IU fans have been thinking uh, Hood Shafino would be one and done. Uh, what are your thoughts on Hood Shafino sticking around for a sophomore season? Any chance that he'll be back for a sophomore season? Uh, Andy, we'll go you first. Oh, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I don't, is this former IU fullback Jeremy Johnson or just another Jeremy Johnson? I, I don't know. I believe he spelled it with an I, so probably not. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, one of the big questions of him was shooting. I think everybody can – you know, make have questions. Certainly, after last night, the shooting wasn't wasn't great. But I think he shot the ball better than IU fans would have expected. Probably than NBA scouts would have expected. Um, yeah, I, I I think if unless he really gets a, a low grade in the NBA, which seems pretty unlikely at this point, I would I would be pretty shocked if he was back. Yeah, given his size and defensive, you know, natural defensive ability, I don't know whether or not plays well in the system is nothing. It's 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 his natural. I'm not ability. sure we can. I'm not uh, sure we can tag anybody. With yeah. natural defensive ability after the last it's few games. true, but, but just given but his his size, athleticism, all of that, and and at a point guard position, uh, all he's got to do is run the tape of the Iowa and Northwestern games, and scouts are going to fall over themselves because the the question for him was shooting ability and being able to create his own shot. He was a good distributor in high school, not a great shooter. He was good from that mid range that we saw earlier in the year, but he was not a three point shooter, not a free throw. Sh- you know, his free throws were okay. Um, but he's developed and, and uh, he's going to be, I would say, I told somebody a couple weeks ago, I think he's going to be 18 to 27, somewhere in there, which if you're a first round pick, you go like, there's yeah. no question. If you're going to be first round pick, you go, you do not risk the injury. Sam Vecini put him at 37. I think I saw in, in, in his most recent mock he's gonna draft. Be yeah. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he went higher. It, it's going to come down to two things where he's going to be in the draft and the other thing is, if if this is a toxic situation in that locker room, uh, definitely going to go rather than yeah. stick around. The, the thing that will keep him around is NIL money. Like, if, if you're not going to get the same amount of money and you don't want to go play G League or anything like that, second round, a lot of times the benefit of the NIL is to get guys to stick around. But I, I think he's gone. I think um, he's a first-round pick. And I think that he's going to be yeah. close enough to a first-round pick that – it's worth the shot to go, especially uh, yep. who wants to stick around and be in a questionable situation in Indiana. I He's mean, one of those guys. A late round is going to make a good team really, really playoff, good. Yeah, add to you a know, playoff. He, he goes late. He adds to a playoff team because he's got all the intangibles. Yeah. Yep, and then become a star. Alex Wirtz uh, asked, "What are your updated expectations for IU's finish in the conference standings, and which big team teams are we currently better than?" Uh, well, None. we're tied for last in the Big Ten with Minnesota, who just beat Ohio State, which is better than our at Ohio State. Last. At Ohio State, that, now Ohio State got screwed. I just wrote about this. Yeah. The last play, yeah, your yeah, absolute. your Big Ten blown call of the day was uh, right there in in Columbus. Wow, clean block, give it a foul call in a tie game with one second left, and Minnesota made one of the two free throws, and then uh, I think what Ohio State turned it over and and they got two more free throws, but it, I mean that was the game right there. So. We're now tied for last place with a team in Minnesota that was not expected to do anything this year. So my expectations for the season, uh, low, uh, the remainder of the season, very low. I mean, we may be and relying on the, on, we the may answer. be relying on the big 10 tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, oh, at this oh, race, oh, which, which is great. <laughs> which is great. Always works out for us. Yeah, I mean, you you got teams really beating up on each other. Everything is, I mean, if you look at Ken Palm right now, you've got tons of teams projected in the 9 to 11, 9 and 11 to 11 to 9 range. I think you've got 
I'm trying to do. You know, I think you've got maybe nine teams projected in that range right now. There's six alone that are projected to go ten and ten. Uh, yeah, there's ten teams projected right now on Ken Palm to go between nine and eleven and eleven and nine. So I, I mean, things could shake out anywhere, but it, it's hard to rank this team above too many in the league right now. Um, despite what you know, Minnesota did, I think they're still better than Minnesota, better than Nebraska. And in terms of how people are playing right now, I'm not sure you could put them over too many other people. Well, yeah, Michigan blew a game at we're Iowa. We're all too, searching for that, the right that, words similar to feeling. say we suck. Right now, that, we do. That's that's just we're all looking for the right way to say it. But now, I, I, my mom always told me to be honest, and I'm not going to be honest. Like I don't believe we'll win many more games. That's an honest take. But the but the one positive is a lot of Big Ten teams have struggled and turned it around. Iowa lost three in a row, and everyone was mad at McCaffrey. And then they beat us, and then they go on the road and beat Rutgers. Now they beat Michigan. I think they beat Michigan tonight, didn't they? Yeah, they came back overtime. Um, Ohio State's now lost three in a row. They had a key, uh, Zed Key, a key injury. He came back tonight, I think, and played. Uh, They've lost three in a row. Michigan was expected to be up in the Big Ten and lost. So a lot of times, all it takes is one win. You know, uh, you you win against uh, Wisconsin, which is almost a must win. But the thing is, the expectations are low because even if we play the right way, we we still would be underdogs because of the loss of two important starters so for me it's just please play better with the guys we have and make an attempt to winning instead of getting beat by teams northwestern regardless of the loss you shouldn't have lost to you should have hung on to the iowa uh and penn state's not that more athletic uh than than what the roster is now with the injuries we gotta we gotta play better all right um steven he did say please so i feel like well, we after should. I cussed like a sailor last night, I'm trying to be on, on my... Trying to dust off your manners? Good for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I, no banners? Have some manners. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. This, we're, this is bad. Uh, Steven, I think we answered your question about the defensive game plan going forward. We talked a little bit of zone, but I do want to give you a credit. That's a good question in there. Um how will the lofty expectations not being met? This is from Jeffrey. How will the lofty expectations not being met affect recruiting and roster construction going forward? I'm going to jump in real quick and then take it. The concern is if there's doubt in the leadership, you don't get the, the transfers that come in that you need and the recruiting starts to fall off. That could be dangerous if this is an internal thing. Um, and we're, you know, you, you saw bickering back and forth and, if this doesn't there's get right going on behind the scenes there, ha- I mean, there just is yeah. like, there's, it's, it's yeah. very obvious that there is a, there's something going on uh, because that's, and that's spilling out onto the court and it's spilling out onto the bench and the coaches are yelling at each other. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten is the coach. That happens. It. That happens does, sometimes it, it in a, in does, a staff, but it, right. But, but not in this situation. Too, it's happening too much. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're seeing it repeatedly play out in public and, and you're seeing players, you know, Woodson yell at players who are like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's, you know, like ta- instead of like nodding when their coach is talking to them, they're just like, well, I'm, I'm doing what you want. Like, what do you, you know, and that's a communication issue. And it's an issue with, again, leadership. It's just leadership. That is all that is missing from this team. Because with leadership, you could direct people to do what you want to do. You direct players to do what you want to do in the way you want to do it. And they're not doing it. And you're upset about it. Think about your style. Like, change the way you're conveying what you want. Or as Andy has pointed out, change the player. 
there are options available and Indiana has depth on the bench that is not being utilized. So, I mean, you know, if, if certain guys aren't doing it, Malik Renew turned the ball over twice last night and got buried on the bench, put Logan Duncan in. Like if you need to give Trace Jackson Davis a break, like do something different. That guy showed a ton of heart and hustle in one game and then hasn't seen the court since um, when you needed him. He, he was there. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to fix all your problems. I'm just saying like that guy deserves a chance. Other guys deserve a chance. If nobody's executing what you want, other guys deserve a chance or, change, just hurts. or change what you're running. I mean, look at what we're talking about. Look at what's been all over Twitter, uh, all of that. Then that becomes the name of your program. And now yep. you're going to go out and try to get a, a guy coming in as a grad transfer or, or a recruit. Yep. Uh, then, and by the way, you're not going to transfer portal your way into a great roster next year. Next year is going to be going to hurt. This was your yeah. chance to make hay. This then, was your chance to have a great, great season and then buy the goodwill for next year when you might be a little down because a lot of guys are going to be gone. And this is turning out to be a complete disaster next year. You're, I mean, the transfer portal is going to be loaded, but you're not going to transfer portal your way into a championship team. It's just not going to happen that way. You build your championship teams through recruiting, and then you supplement that with the transfer portal. You're going to build it from scratch with transfer portal guys, and you're going to rely on the guys you're burying on the bench this year, next year. So you got to change what you're doing if you want to turn this narrative around. I mean, that's Andy, the narrative I, of the team. It's a mess, gonna, and that's the narrative. Yeah, I I'm think, going to throw this question. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just real quick. I, I think – where, where you spin that forward is exactly what you said. You, you, this team is going to lose a lot of guys. And I'm not saying there's a bunch of people who are going to transfer. I, I, that's not what it is. This is a veteran team that has a lot of older guys who will not be here. There are a handful of younger guys who have gotten some minutes or a handful of guys who have not. You have to probably assume that some of the guys who have not will look elsewhere in the current environment. And you have a couple of solid recruits coming in, but not a game changer. Uh, in the way that you would have categorized Suchifino and even to a lesser extent Malik Renew this year. So you have to go into the portal. And as you look at the options available to the guys in the portal, not only from a NIL perspective, but just where is a situation that I want to walk into? You've seen teams like Kansas State this year is terrific and did a lot of work in the portal. It's also new regime. I think Jerome Tang had a good, good uh, reputation coming off of Scott Drew's staff. But to a certain extent, there was a blank slate, and sometimes that works best. Um, you know, Iowa State did that last year. Otzelberger gets there. They get a whole bunch of guys out of the portal. Things are successful. They get some more guys out of the portal this year, and they start to build something. But it was Lloyd kind of at that Arizona. In, that initial Same year thing. was kind of the unknown of like, all right, well, let's see what this becomes. If it becomes something great, you're going to be able to do that year over year and reload in the portal. Well, that's not what's happened this year. So this is not a particularly in – in its current state, there's a lot of games left, but in its current state, it would not be an attractive place, in my view, for your top-tier guys in the portal to go. And that's who you're going to need given what you're expected to lose. At some point, you got – I called it earlier, it's a developmental year. When you lose two starters, you're behind the eight ball anyway. So you got to make sure your guys are ready to play, not only this year, but next year. You don't play not to win. You're not giving up on the season by playing C.J. Gunn, Banks, and Duncan. But you got to find them eight to ten minutes here and there. If they're playing well, get them some more. If not, then you play to win in the last ten minutes. But now you have a chance. You're forced to have a chance to go down the roster and get these guys excited about coming back next year and then that is, you know, um, th that helps bring people people in. Um, 
let's go to this one. We'll get back to the, the Kevin Warren one for Ryan. Why, why is Duncan not playing? I, here's my answer. There's just too many fives on the roster. Like Maybe. With, with race, I, I've said it before, we're, we're reluctant to go small ball, but, it, you know, you got four people ahead of him. Um, and, and But, boy, when I'd he's like come in, he's had a little minutes. bit of juice. He needs eight to ten minutes. So I don't know why he's not playing. This question is uh, Tom Eller's question. Um, I'd like to see him get a little bit of – and they have to rest TJD, even trying to win. Throw Duncan in behind him. Play Renew and Geronimo at the four if you want to stick with that kind of lineup and alternate them there. There are ways to get Duncan some minutes um, and still win basketball games. Yeah, I, I, to me, I'm filing a lot of things under the what could it hurt uh, right category at this point and and i think you look at tjd basically getting kind of run into the ground at this point um i, I do think some of the matchup stuff is a big challenge in terms of trying to play two posts um and and so that definitely makes it difficult um and, and i think there's some matchups even like particularly yesterday right like penn state is not a team to me that you need to spend a whole lot of time playing two true bigs. Um, and I, you tried that in a couple stretches. It did not necessarily go very well for a team that really struggles defensively. You're, you're asking yourself to put one of those guys in a matchup. That's going to be not very good. Um, but I do think they missed some opportunities against the Northwestern, uh, even against an Iowa who doesn't have super athletic bigs um, or you're not putting them on a, you know, a, a four man that's going to go run you all over the court. Now you get into a game like last night at Penn State. I'm not sure that was a great opportunity for him. I'm not sure you're putting him in a position to succeed, but I think you do have to find time to to give him minutes because you've not seen him against any good competition in a year and a half. You have no idea as you as you go back to the last question of what next year is going to look like. You have literally no idea whether he can compete as a starting big or even a guy who's going to log major minutes in the Big Ten against against top end big 10 teams. You just don't know because we haven't seen. So at some point you got to, you got to answer those questions so that you know what your roster needs to look like for next year. There, um, there's another question down here about Caleb Banks. Julie Sturgeon asked about Caleb Banks playing again. I think Caleb's really lost defensively in the time that I've seen him. Great athlete, very good offensive player. There's a guy though, that I would try to throw in some minutes as well. If this thing goes off the rails, you have no choice, right? So, um, I think that's the reason that those guys aren't playing probably is defensive-minded, but the question is if we're giving up 84 points, how can they be any worse? How can it hurt, um, as Andy said? Um, so we're going to continue with the, with the mailbag here as we come back in our next segment. So uh, stick with us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Hello, everybody. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni. I'm here uh, with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. We've been answering your questions now um, in, in a couple segments. we got some really good general questions, and then we're going to bounce out of here, let you get ready for the weekend. Um, so the, the next question, Ryan, we're going to give to you. And I'm we got a new Big Ten commissioner coming. What, what's the impact? This is Tim Foster's question. Uh, what's the impact of Kevin – Warren leaving as a Big Ten commissioner to take the uh, Bears president's job. How does that impact the conference and its future? Uh, it just really depends on who they get to replace him. I mean, to, to see if there's a change. I think that the future is pretty well set with the uh, you know the two new teams from the West Coast coming in in 2024. Uh, the TV deal is already done, so it's not like they're in the middle of negotiations for that. So I don't think there's going to be a massive change there. Um, I would expect favorites to replace him to be Gene Smith, who's the Ohio State Athletic Director. Uh, seems like a perfect fit for him. Jim uh, Phillips, the ACC commissioner, is another guy I would look to possibly or going internal with somebody like uh, Kerry Kenny, who's sort of the head of television for the Big Ten. Uh, those are the guys I would look for to potentially replace uh, Kevin Warren. I think that a lot of changes have already happened. Uh, the only question really facing the conference is adding two more teams. And you would assume they would be West Coast teams to accommodate USC and UCLA's entrance, because USC and UCLA, frankly, don't want every home game that's not road game that's in LA that's not in LA to be 1500 miles away so I would expect if I'm guessing I would expect Stanford and Washington to get invites eventually because they fit the academic profile that the Big Ten looks for it also opens up Seattle and the Bay Area for you market wise uh, a lot of people have tossed around Oregon there is no way the big I can't see any way the Big Ten would take Oregon given their academic profile and the fact that Eugene is not a huge television market um, so I think two more teams are going to be added um, I think that's going to be the the next step, but I think that you know those negotiations are not you know ongoing at this moment. It doesn't seem so. Whoever comes in will be able to have some legroom to to start doing that. But I don't see any big impacts right now. You might see some down the road, um, but the TV deal set. The two major additions have been made. I mean, adding the LA market is huge for the Big Ten, and Kevin Warren was able to to finish that along. I mean, it's, he's not, the, you know, he's not the only one who works there. You know what I mean? Like he's the figurehead. He's the guy out in charge, but he's not solely working away at late nights to negotiate USC and UCLA come in. They have a team of people who did that and they'll still be there. So, um, 
he's the face, but there's a huge organization behind him. So I don't think it'll be a huge impact. And whoever they bring in, I'm sure they can get, you know, one of the top of the market guys to, to come in and take over. Back to back on that, Brian Flickinger says, um, with that news, so what should be the priorities of the conference moving forward, especially in men's basketball? I don't know what's realistic priorities. For me, it'd be to have a permanent home for tournaments or the Big yeah. Ten Championship, and I'm a big proponent of Indianapolis. It's just walking distance of hotels and the atmosphere as Perfectly opposed to sad. Chicago and and then Washington, D.C. one year and New York the other. Uh, you have ACC uh, rotates a little bit, but you know Madison Square Garden in the Big East is known. I think that's just a, a – if you're going to hold on when you're expanding west – if you're going to hold on to some of the traditional stuff, center it in one one place, and I would want that place to be in yeah. Indianapolis. Any thoughts? When they've, uh, when they've done the tournaments in Madison Square Garden and in D.C. and whatever, it it just hasn't been as big a deal. I do think that having it in Indy, it's it's equidistant. Fans can drive to it, you know, from every school except for Rutgers and Maryland, um, and it, eventually UCLA and USC, obviously, but they're not going to be able to drive anywhere you have it. Um so I think that just having it there is makes the most sense and take over Indianapolis. It's a perfect downtown for hosting events. I know, you know, the weather isn't the best at that time of year in that segment. So maybe some people are going to be like, no, we need to have it in LA at Staples this year. You know, I, I like, I, I get that, but I, I think that um, having an indie makes the most sense. I think the other thing is of course, the next step is, is expanding. They got to add two more teams. They're going to add two more teams and it's just getting that done wherever it's going to be. Andy, anything you'd like to see the conference focus on? Yeah, I think along with the expansion, I think trying to figure out what you do with the whole divisional setup schedule and, and kind of how you're going to handle scheduling in that scenario. I'll, I'll be interested to see. Um, you know, you're, you're you're well past the idea of a true round robin of any kind from a basketball perspective. I know that was you know part of the question. So how do you do that and, and try to balance that out? And, and the other thing, um, probably sounds like a broken record from in a lot of ways, but how do you fix the officiating in the way the league is called um, from a basketball perspective, um, which is, you know, kind of the lens that matters most to, to us from a, the show and just my own interest in general, you know, you got to step back and try to figure out why have you had so little tournament success? Why has it been so long? I think most people would point back to the style of play, the way games are officiated and how that translates. How do you, how do you modernize that aspect of things? I know I've seen some different things, um, you know, float around about getting different people involved to look at the officiating or whatever. But it's like, I mean, I joked before about the, you know, big 10 blown call of the night, but like it is game after game where there are just ridiculous misses of things that become the league's reputation that become some of the physicality of these games or whatever. I mean, the hell the women's game was just as, just as bad. Um, you know, the first half they call, I think eight total fouls. They're just beating the hell out of each other. And then the second half you turn around and it's like, IU had more fouls in the third quarter than they did. than both teams had combined in the first half. Well, they're not playing any different at that point. So how do you get more consistency from game to game from half to half, um, in a way that, you, you know, all the freedom of movement, all that, all that kind of stuff that it's not tackle basketball. And I think that is something that will take time to get away from. But one way or another, you're continuing to struggle from an officiating standpoint. You're continuing to struggle in the tournament, and you're continuing to struggle to really attract top-end talent. Year after year, we go in and talk about the McDonald's All-American game. These guys, you know, 
if you get a couple ACC of these guys at this point going to the Big Ten, like two or three feels like a lot. So you're not getting the top talent. That also translates to the, you know, and I, I think there's probably more digging. I don't think that's just style of play that's keeping those guys from coming. Um, but you've got to find football, ways to The really, conference is very football heavy, and that's, yeah, that's why. You've got to find ways to elevate basketball in, in some way to allow yourself periodic tournament success that, you know, it doesn't become, well, nobody from the Big Ten's won since 2000 and all those kinds of things. I think that from a purely basketball standpoint is, is there's a lot to fix there and a lot of different ways to fix having tournament success, but you got to start doing better in that. Yeah. Have, have they ever mentioned that on a broadcast, Andy, that it's been a long time since the Big Ten's won a national title? I don't think, I've you know, I had to look it up because I hadn't heard anybody mention it. Um, so uh, I did Google it just to, you know, just to make sure. I appreciate you fact checking and doing a good job as a journalist. Um, no, I look officials tell players how to play the game by what they call and what they don't call. They teach the players in the game. And if it changes wildly from first half to second half, the games are unwatchable because guys get into a rhythm of how they're playing. Then they come out in the second half, play the same way. And now all of a sudden you're calling everything. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do? And you see guys, a lot of times the telltale sign is you see guys look over at their coach. Like, why is that a foul now? You know, and you see coaches yelling and Fran McCaffrey turning purple and whatever it is, you see it a lot in the Big Ten. And I don't think you see it as much in other conferences. There are games this year where I've watched and I've been like, you know what, that is a really well-officiated game. And the reason why I've said that is because it's not horrendous. Uh, because I just expect every game to be really, really bad. And, and I think that is the next thing that needs to happen. They do need to re-examine the officiating. Just bring in a whole different set of, hire a whole different set of officials. Let, let these guys go do other conferences. Because they're, they, whatever they're doing ain't working. Ryan, I, I got a couple questions for you, and then I know you got to go, uh, and then I can stick around, and if Andy, you want to stick around, we can hammer out some. There's just excellent questions. But Kathy asked about, you know, we've been critical about the coach, uh, not we, but we as a fan base and everything. It says a lot of people are starting to call for a new coach. Uh, what are our thoughts on that? Implications of longevity of the program, impacts on recruiting, and are your answers based on the outcome of this season? I, I'll start real quick. I, I think – Honestly, it is always tough when you have injuries. I mean, that does impact winning. But I, I am very concerned that the issues are be, are beyond winning um, yep. and losing with this with this program. I, um, that's my concern. But man, you can't just keep recycling people because then it becomes a job of every two or three years. Money is an issue with buyout clauses and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so the answer to a new coach is more complicated than is he just doing a good job in the basketball program. Um, the right hire makes a difference. Terry Morin has made a difference. Indiana has not made decent hires uh, in completion. Tom Crean was good for a lot of things, but he flamed out too early. If you're going to have a really good coach, you want him to last a long time, but he flamed out for a variety of reasons. Archie Miller turned out not to be a good hire, never knows often. basketball, but never fit into the Indiana way of doing things. Coach Woodson yet to be determined, trending not the way it needs to be, an IU guy. But um, we got him. If if this isn't the case, the next hire is vital, or and and it could be too late that that we're just in like Georgetown basketball uh, potential uh, of irrelevant basketball. Um, that's my take. I'll say this, if this season doesn't turn around, he needs to be heavily on the hot seat because this was his chance to do something yeah. special. This was it because everybody's leaving next year. I mean, there's a ton of guys gone, forget NBA defections other than Jalen, like, or, or there could be transfers, there could be whatever. 
guys leaving the program, I mean, you're going to be left pretty much bare next year as far as a starting lineup is concerned. So what do you do? And this was the year to make hay, and this was the year to put a stamp on the program and say, this is what I can do. And we're seeing it right now. And it's not great. And I don't think he'll be fired after two seasons. I just don't think that'll happen. Whether it's warranted or not, He's. I, I said this when they hired him, and I said, you know what the problem is here is if this goes bad, I'm not saying it at the time, I said, I'm not saying it will, but if it goes bad, it's really hard to fire a family member. It's really hard to do. And the backlash against firing him would be immense, even though a huge portion of the fan base would say, well, we've seen it on the court. It's not working. Um, that's the risk of going with with somebody who played here and who is an IU guy is it's really hard to let him go. Um, this is what I'll say about it. All of this goes back to Scott Dolson. Scott Dolson went after Brad Stevens really hard. Some reports say he got pretty close. Some reports say, well, Stevens was considering it, but not really and knew what was coming down the pike. And he was going to be executive and kind of wanted to do that. You wonder, is his kids in Boston? You know, I mean, whoever you listen to, there's a different story. But Indiana went after him and offered him a huge package to come home to Indiana and be the coach. Didn't work. After that, the coaching search wasn't much. It was pretty much, all right, let's go to Mike Woodson. And when you look at Woodson's track record, he had some successful seasons. I've said this before. He had some successful seasons in Atlanta with the Knicks. He had a couple successful seasons. No one would call his NBA coaching career, though, a success. He got fired at both places because he wasn't taking the team where they wanted to go. There was, uh, if you read articles written by people who covered those teams, they said, yeah, it's past time. These weren't shocking fires, firings. They were ready. And you knew that track record. You knew he'd never coached in college at any level, and yet you gave him this contract. And you brought in Thad Mata to paper over some what exactly everybody was going to say was he doesn't know the college game, so you, you tack Thad Mata onto it. And then Woodson and Mata barely talk in their year together, and Mata leaves. And, you know, I, like, there was a huge percentage chance that this was the outcome for this, and Scott Dolson dove into it. And I'm not saying anything bad about Scott Dolson. I'm just saying, like, this is on him. He made the decision. I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad athletic director or anything, but this was his decision, and he's got to live with it. And it was a career-defining decision, I think. Anytime you hire a basketball coach at a place in Indiana, that's going to define you. It's not looking good right now. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a little bit you, – you alluded to the Georgetown thing and, and Ryan talked about being difficult to fire somebody. I mean, if the coach at Georgetown was not Patrick Ewing, they had the same thing with John Thompson Jr. Um, when they did that. But, I mean, even more so with, with Ewing, his stature in the lore of Georgetown basketball is such that it becomes really difficult to turn the page on him. But if he was anybody else – He'd have been gone at Georgetown, given their record. There's no way he would have gotten this season. I'm not sure he would have gotten last season. Um, they had that one run in the Big East tournament, and otherwise, really hasn't done a whole lot. And it does become difficult to to do that, and that is, you know, a risk of of having those kinds of things and trying to figure out what you do. So I, I think, you know, in the absence of something crazy, you can expect him to be back. But you know, to the you know, to try to pull you know tie some of this together what ryan talked about the roster what i talked about the roster earlier 
next year, looking at what potentially it looks like, I mean, this was really like last year, I think was a good stepping stone and we can debate whether the last couple of weeks were a mirage or not of the season, but it was a great stepping stone to get to that point, to establish yourself, to do whatever. And this was the year to use that as a springboard to something so much better, which is what every, you know, every, everything looked at. And, um, and that hasn't happened for a variety of reasons. Injuries are certainly a part of that, but you know, when you step back at the end of the season, if it continues on the trajectory that it's going, you've taken such a step back. You've got so much ground to recover from to even get back to where you were. It just seems seems pretty tough to do. Um, and we'll certainly, I think if he's able to pull things out of both this, you know, the remainder of this season and then do something next and or do something next year, that says a lot about his viability in the long term. But if you don't do either one of those, then I think we got a problem. Yeah. One last point on this coach. One, one last yep. thing. Um, Indiana fans for a long time, a significant portion of the fan base has been obsessed with getting an IU guy with quotes around it. And they rejoiced. Many of them rejoiced when Mike Woodson was hired. The problem when you hire somebody within your ranks is if somebody had Mike Woodson's resume and did not, if he hadn't gone to IU, he's not even on the list of people you interview. And you have to consider that. Like, if you have an IU guy who's killing it, yeah, you go after that. Yeah, of course you go hire that guy. There's nobody from IU with that pedigree. There isn't right now. And you forced it. You forced a square peg into a round hole because he went to Indiana. And he cares about the program. And he gets IU. IU, you know, every major school thinks that they are what IU thinks it is. That there's this unique culture. And you have to get it. And you have to. I know this from being a USC fan. They have the exact same thing. It's a, well, they have to get what it is to be USC and being in LA is special and all this. It's a football program. I mean, you can run, you know, the football program, the the basketball program or football program ran in the SEC. You can run it Indiana. You just, if you win, that's, that's the tradition is winning and having this fan base. Like there's nothing specific or different or weird about being the coach at Indiana. You just have to win and do the right things and do it the right way. Plenty of coaches can do that. You know, it's a matter of getting them. And so this, this, this idea that like uh, Indiana is a, it's the most unique job and call No, it's not. It's a college basketball job. And if you win games there, who cares where you came from? And, and so that needs to be like the change in mentality. You got your IU guy. And right now it doesn't look good. He could turn it around. He absolutely could turn this around. No question. He's got plenty of room to turn it around. But as we stand right now, it doesn't look like a good hire. And you have to accept the fact that maybe going outside of that bubble is the best way to find your next thing and let that guy create his own tradition here. So to wrap wrap things up, Andrew Kinley asked, where do we go from here as a fan base? What, what's our role? What Where do we go from? What What do we want to happen? What What do we do while this is playing out? I think you got to... I mean, you you mentioned this uh, toward the beginning of the show, Coach. I mean, I think from a fan base perspective, I think you got to do a couple things. You know, one is support, continue to support the team for whatever you think about who's to blame for different situations. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like these guys don't want to win. Um, they want to win. They want to do the right things. Uh, for whatever reason, they're not right now, and we can – probably sit here for another hour and talk about what that is. So I think that's, you know, that's kind of step one. I think 
the other thing is really ties back to some of these questions is, is you got to start looking for stuff through the lens uh, a little bit of what you said, coach, of, of being more of a, uh, a I, you know, I don't think you said rebuilding gear, developmental years, which you yeah. said. Um, and, and watch some of the other guys who have eligibility remaining because there's some, <laughs> some guys on this roster who don't. Um, but watch, you know, watch some of those guys and see, am I seeing things that allow me to, you know, give hope for the future? And is there things that we can build on? Are there guys who you feel like you can build around? Because there's going to be roster turnover based on graduations and, and guys going to the NBA. So that, to me, is really the biggest part to kind of look at it through that lens. And, you know, maybe that's just trying to talk yourself into being able to get excited to get next year. I don't know. But um, I think those are the things that you really want to see. Because player development is a huge piece of this. It's one of the big questions about can they, you know, develop these guys. So do you see, do you see that over the remainder of the season, or is that become another red flag? Uh, hopefully, it's the former, but that's at least kind of the lens I'm looking through things at. That's it. We're done. No more questions. And we'll that'll do it then, I guess, for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thanks to Bob Thompson for producing our music, and thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. Until then, take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right, thank you, everyone, for uh, joining in. I'm going to answer a few. I know my co-hosts have to bounce out. There's a few basketball questions in there. I'll try to answer them uh, quickly. Thank you uh, to both of you for popping on. Um, Hey, man. Always. Stay healthy. (laughs) Mentally and physically. Yeah. (laughs) Think good thoughts, guy, everybody. I know it's been a rough few days. (laughs) Yeah. Hug someone you love. Yeah. <laughs> Drink heavily, whatever it takes. Yeah, what, whatever it takes. So right. later, guys. All right, All right. Good. We'll talk to you guys this weekend. All right, see ya. Okay, so some uh, some questions here. One, uh, we apologize if we didn't get to your questions, but a lot of your questions were embedded in the whole basketball talk. Phil Taylor asked the trouble defending the drive. Uh, what are your thoughts on going to the zone? Uh, I'm going to answer these quickly. I think you have to try stuff. Um, the zone can stop penetration. It's going to give up some shots. Good offenses will find shots. But if teams are beating you consistently off and you're overhelping, um, why not try zone? I thought it threw people off uh, on on the other night against Northwestern. Um, IU Artifacts, my main guy, says, if we're constantly overhelping on defense, what's the motivation for doing this? Uh, not sure. There's too, many, there's too much ball watching. Uh, I, I'm not sure the scheme is horrible, Chris. The execution of it is. I mean, when you have three guys in the lane staring at the ball and slow to recover and no rotation on the backside, then then that if that's your scheme, that's really bad. Um, but that just smacks of it being undertaught or underemphasized, and, and so the players have created bad habits. Or what's happening is the coach says, we've got to stop the tra- – everyone stop penetration, and that has been overemphasized to where everyone's trying to do the job of three or four guys. So instead of the one guy helping uh, and stopping the drive, you have three or four guys running there because they're all trying to win so hard, and it's been overemphasized that the drive is the number one priority, that it's just leaving huge gaps. Um, so, But to your point, 
if you have a three three point shooting team, I think Kennesaw State had played really well against some big teams and lived by the three point line. And we did the same thing. And I know coaches can be stubborn. They're like, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're not going to adjust anyone else. If we do what we do, we'll be okay. But if teams shoot the three, stretch it out and don't help so much. It, it's it's not a difficult adjustment. Um, so that 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 was a, a good the overhelp and the and the ball watching and, and the three guys. The eyes on the ball. Watch watch next game. If Indiana's struggling, they're all watching the ball. That's just not good basketball no matter what level. Um, so the fan base won. Charlie uh, Trump, uh, my main man, I didn't wear my hat tonight, Charlie, my bad. Uh, what do you think is wrong with the team? Uh, I think it's a trust issue. Um, I, I just – I think um, I've seen it. I've been a part of teams that have had that. I've been a coach of teams that have lost trust in me and I've lost trust in them. And it's just, it's ugly. Uh, you guys got to keep trying to teach and, and, and sometimes it's, you can't control it. Um, but um, this just smacks of a team that doesn't like, like what's going on and doesn't like the locker room, doesn't like practice, doesn't like games. Uh, and that was so different than the first eight or nine where there was a lot of joy and connectivity uh, so, Charlie, I, I just think this issue is deeper. The, the actual where you point the blame is probably in multiple spots. Uh, and sometimes you got to lighten up uh, a little bit, too. It, it's time to go to a comedy club or, or just kind of take a deep breath and, and have just a, a conversation about, hey, let's just try this and relax. I think the, the, the guy's pressing, and then I think the coach is pressing, and then it's gonna. Then that's just hitting everyone in in wrong ways, and the reaction is just like um, everyone's just kind of doing their own thing now instead of a, a collective effort to win. That's my best guess, Charlie. Uh, it just it doesn't look like a team that's just getting beat by basketball. Uh, it, it looks like a team that that that's checked out a little bit. Um, so, Kurt uh, asks Blocker asks, will this team make the NCAA tournament uh, as our Delphi bracketology? We dropped them to an 11 seed uh, before the Penn State game. They're probably out of our next bracket. There's opportunities. Uh, as you've seen, Iowa has turned it around. They were Iowa was out, beat Indiana, then went on the road and beat Rutgers and moved back in, and now they're moving back up towards the 7-8 seed. There are opportunities for Indiana to right the ship and win and get back in tournament, but it is now a season where Selection Sunday is going to be either nerve-wracking or we know by then that there's no way – Indiana is going to be in uh, the social media stuff. Ross Dietrich, um, and then there's another question saying something about X liking a tweet in the mid game about uh, some coaching decisions going on. Man, I, I love social media. It's been a lot for the assembly call and, and me getting this job uh, four or five years ago. Uh, a lot of the bracketology stuff that we've done. Social media can be really, really good, but it's also dangerous and ugly. We deal it with the high school students in the classroom. Um, the best advice, which is impossible, is to have people just shut off their social media from October through March and not pay any attention to it. But these guys with NIL and you get hits and you get money for advertisements, they're going to be on it and then they're going to see it. And the next best solution would be guys don't read it um, and definitely don't make comments. I mean, we got, you know, relatives of players making comments on posts and everything else, and that just adds to the toxicity of, of the program. Um you know, it used to be you're at the tavern or you're at the basement and you're yelling at the TV. You don't like this player, don't like this coach, and you're just your relatives hear you. And then you go to work tomorrow and you kind of forget about it. And now you're in your basement uh, and, and you, you tweet out something and you at someone and it could be really hurtful. 
Uh, I don't think we should be involved with it. I don't think the players should be involved with it. Uh, Jack Ryan Ashby says, uh, Woodson is a stubborn coach. Do we think he has ability and more importantly, the willingness to adapt to the college games? A lot of us coaches are, 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 um, are stubborn and it's a fault. Um, so we all need to be open to learning. Um, and then I, your second part of your question is when do we start to question Dolson's ability to choose coaches in any sport? Um, I think that's fair game. Uh, I think the football program and the basketball program have guys who are trying hard to lead the program, are good men, nothing bad, nothing happening like what happened in Texas. Solid, solid men, but sometimes solid men are poor leaders or good leaders that just have bad runs. Tough decisions need to be made, and it just seems like a couple decisions that that he has made are not working out right now. But there is time to turn that around. Um and let's see if there's another thing. I like Matt's question here um, about recruiting. I, I do – I get into this all the time with other fans of other programs. If you recruit to win NCAA tournament, you're going to try to get uber-talented guys, five-star guys, and, and it's a flip of the coin. Some of them pan out and some of them don't um, because of, you know, like the guy at uh, Memphis and went to Eastern Michigan, Imani Bates was – declared one of the best players in the next century and, and he's not playing very well um, for whatever reasons. I do like the way Purdue gets guys that play Purdue basketball. The problem is I don't think they'll win a championship because I don't think they're as athletic and talented to win six games. Uh, I think every, that they're, they're more likely to run into a matchup that'll hurt them. Uh, you got to have a, an athletic crazy good athletic squad to be able to play multiple styles of games to win six games in a row uh, in today's college basketball. So, you know, what what do you want? You want to go after that next banner? You kind of got to have to go after the big talented guys. Uh, I think the question, the real question is, can you get a combination? Can you get a couple of those hard-nosed dive on the floor guys? But we have one. We have one in Galloway. I think we have some of that in, in Miller Cop a, a little bit. Um, we got guys like that. Um, it goes back to how do you, how you utilize them. Officiating, Sally, I think we talked about that. Um, uh, yeah, Scott asked about bringing uh, Sydney from the women's team for the men's game for the threes. She can flat out play. And um, we've talked about the defense. So, Craig, uh, Matt, Jack, I think Bay Area. Uh, last one I'll answer, and then I need to go to Bay Area Hoosier. Excellent question. Uh, is it a player development issue? I, I don't, I, it might be too early to tell. Um, but some of the players haven't made the progress that we thought they were. Um, you know, TJD's not shooting from the outside. That surprise bench player, uh, Bay Area says, is not uh, as good as we thought they that might be. Um, that we thought we had depth, and all of a sudden when we needed the depth, the depth is not there. Is it a player um, player development thing? Uh, it can be. It, it, you got to develop your players. The players got to get better, and especially if you want to run a certain scheme, uh, you got to be playing better. And the, the overhelp and the staring at the basketball are things you can work out in practice, uh, individual development or or team development. So Bay Area Hoosier, excellent question. If we missed your question, I I apologize. Stick with the Hoosiers. Always root for them, even in in tough years. We did it. Uh, when we had that total rebuild and, and had walk-ons uh, in, in the early 2000, what, 2006, 2007 under Tom Crean, we can do it again, and there's nowhere it's not near as bad now 
uh, and a win Saturday uh, can turn this thing around. So we'll see you Saturday. Uh, we appreciate you. Thanks for watching and listening, and always go Hoosiers. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.